This week's lesson is on reading God's Word. Lesson one, we introduced the reality of God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, eternal, completely holy, continually just, just to name a few of His characteristics. God is, God created, and God is involved in the lives of His creation. Lesson two, the inspired Word. God did not leave man to wonder about Him or about His will for man. Instead, God left a message for us that through these writings of the inspired men, those who are guided by the Holy Spirit, we could come to know God and also God's will for man. Because God has communicated with us, we are obligated to read that will and obey it. It's a wonderful blessing to possess the scriptures, but possessing a Bible is not enough. Unless we seek to learn the truth of God's word, we will not benefit from the instruction that it contains for us. Perhaps you've heard of the guy that just opened his Bible up randomly and then he placed place his finger down on the scripture and whatever scripture he, he landed on, he would read that or a portion thereof and he would put that to use in his life or try to. And the process worked fine for a while. But it went something like this. First time he opens his Bible and he puts his finger down, it lands on Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is established by God. And he thought, okay, I can deal with that. The second time he opened the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I can be thankful in the situations that I'm in. The next time he opened it up, Philippians 2.14, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Well, that's getting a little bit tougher. I like to complain, but I'll try to do better. Then he opened it up, Galatians 6, 9. Do everything, or let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. But then, as things would happen, he landed on this scripture, Matthew 27, 5. So Judas threw the money in the temple and left. He went out and hanged himself. Hmm. So he flipped over a few pages, put his finger down. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, that's not looking good. So then he flipped a few more pages and landed on John 13, 27. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. This is not the way to read scripture. The importance of reading God's word should be obvious to us. By reading scripture, we become aware of God's plan for our lives. We, can, we should conclude as the Israelites did after Moses read the law to them in Exodus 24, 7, he took the law, the book of the commandment, he read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. For those interested in learning and following God's precepts, reading scripture is a joy, it's not a burden. This was certainly the attitude of the psalmist as we discovered last week when the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Psalm 119, 97. There's no substitute for daily Bible reading. We must read it for pleasure. We must read it for direction. We must read it for comfort. Above all, we must read it. For this reason, Paul would charge Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Now let's touch on a couple points to emphasize how this reading should be done. First, we should read the Bible thoroughly. All of us have favorite sections, but we must not neglect the less popular sections of scripture. I like to go to John 14, but I can't turn to that all the time. I pretty much know it by heart. When I was in uh, 
officer's training school, there was a guy that was meeting with the church there and, and we would have worship in the morning and then in the afternoon we'd have a question and answer session. And invariably, no matter what question came up, he would always steer it around to Rome, the answer around to Romans 12, 1 and 2, which he called the gospel condensed. And that's fine too, but we can't always rely on our favorites. Our approach should be similar to that of Joshua. In Joshua 8, 34 and 35, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the aliens who lived among them. A thorough reading of God, God's word is required because as we learned last week, all scripture is given by inspiration, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Some only want to read the red words, some like to tear James out of the Bible, but it doesn't work that way. We need to read it all. Secondly, we need to read the Bible reverently. We should approach the scripture with the utmost respect, like the people of Ezra's time who stood when Ezra read from God's book. In Nehemiah 8, 5, and 6, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because they were, he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. We worshiped with a congregation who had the habit of doing that. When scripture was read in their assembly, everybody stood while that scripture was read. And they cited this particular incident. Their rationale was, if the law during Old Testament times was regarded in this way, certainly the Bible should be regarded with the same respect. Pretty good logic, I think. But as I said, that was their habit. We must never regard scripture flippantly or in a cavalier manner. After all, it is God's word. We should read the Bible with a desire to learn. No doubt there are Old Testament and New Testament passages that are difficult to understand. Peter even, said, even say, stated that there were some of Paul's writings that were difficult to understand, but they were scripture, 2 Peter 3, 14 and 16. It's not impossible, maybe hard, maybe difficult, but it's never impossible. Jesus said that we could know, John 8, 31 and 32, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul said in Ephesians 3, 4 and 5, in reading this, you, may be able to, you will be able to understand. We have the ability to communicate with one another through written means. It stands to reason that the God who created us can also communicate to us his message in a written form that we can understand. And finally, we need to read the Bible because we will be held accountable for doing so. We would do well to consider the number of times that Jesus used this phrase, have you not read? In Matthew 12, 3, for instance, he said, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? In Matthew 12, 5, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath day the priest in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? Or Matthew 19, 4, have you not read he replied, referring back to, on the question of a divorce, referring back to Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24, both of which he quotes. Matthew 22.31 and 32, and Mark 12.26, but about the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read? Mark 12, 11, or 10 and 11, have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone the Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. Quoting Psalm 118, 
22 and 23. By asking this question, the Lord implied to the, that the individuals were accountable for having read the scripture and knowing the scripture. The same is true for us today. Nothing can take place of reading God's word. This we believe. When you think about the modern world and compare that to the first century, we have tons and tons of books. We have tons and tons of magazines. Written word is everywhere. But at that particular time, there was not much that was written down. As a matter of fact, there were not many people who could read. It would be 1,500 years or so before the printing press came into being that would mass market almost everything, but especially the Scripture. Scripture is the most publicized word or book that there is anywhere. It outsells everything every year. Ancient people knew uh, the written word by personal letters or hand-copied documents or official decrees that were chiseled in stone. But the written word was very important, and it continues to be very important. Can you imagine a church, let's say the one at Philippi, for instance, maybe around A.D. 64. Christians gathered early on the first day of the week so that they could sing, they could pray, they could edify each other. A full day's work lay ahead of them. A, a highlight of uh, the day would be to uh, break bread and to sip wine, remembering God's Son who had died for their sins. Assembly was always anticipated with joy, but on this particular day, word had gone out that it was a letter from Paul that was arriving. It would be, would be shared with the assembly today. And sure enough, one of the numbers stood before the others and read the words of the apostle. It was like having Paul present. The public reading would be the only contact that most Christians would have with this letter. In the months or years that would come, this letter would be read and reread scores of times, probably copied and sent to other congregations as well. Reading in the New Testament period was almost exclusively reading aloud. And the Greek word that's used for reading is translated normally to read aloud. A letter from Paul meant that his personal words could be translated and transported across time. But the written word served purpose not only for first readers and hearers, but also for us today. Jews had gathered law, prophecy, um, wisdom in a collection of books that we call the Old Testament. The same was true for the church. We would gather up the, the letters, the gospels, the prophecy, and the history, and we would form one book. These documents were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they gathered into what we call the New Testament. This canon came into being with a new importance given to the reading. In order to guide the church, inspired documents must be read. The New Testament itself even testifies to the importance of the reading of Scripture. So let's talk about three things now. We'll talk about content, we'll talk about understanding, and we'll talk about growth. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, Luke records this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And love your neighbor as yourself, quoting Leviticus 19, 18. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. So on this particular occasion, an expert in the law, or a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Um, this is often referred to as a scribe. The term lawyer and scribe were probably um, intermittently exchanged. As a matter of fact, there's one account uh, that we'll talk about here in just a minute where 
Matthew uses the term lawyer, and Mark uses the term scribe, referring to the same incident. But this is an expert in the law of Moses. This is not an expert in the day-to-day -day law of the, the Roman government. So he wouldn't be an attorney that would take you to court, but rather he would be one who legislates dealing with the law of Moses. The lawyer stood up and asked a question of Jesus, but Jesus turns around and directs him to the written word. Before the lawyer could expect the Bible to speak to his own personal situation, before he could expect it to arouse in him some new fervent uh, devotion or some intense feelings, the lawyer needed to know what the Bible said. He needed to understand the content of the Bible. Knowing the, what the Bible says is fundamental. A person cannot apply what he or she does not know. Gaining personal guidance from the Bible can be a slow process requiring a lifetime of study and meditation. Not too many years back, we gathered together with a, a bunch of Christians in Boaz, Alabama, um, and, and listened to Stafford North talk about the book of Revelation. Now, he is a recognized Bible scholar. He's a professor at Oklahoma Christian University, and he is a student of Revelation. And during this study, he said that over the course of his lifetime, he had totally revamped his view of the book of Revelation at least seven times. People often come to the Bible with a, a pre-existing expectation, only to be disappointed by what they read and what it says. Ten minutes of random reading is not likely to fix whatever personal crisis a person has at that moment. The believer must invest time, just as Stafford North had. One does well to uh, study what a Pharisee or a Sadducee might believe. One does well to learn what a publican did. One does well to locate Corinth on a map and trace the, the path of Paul's missionary journeys. Christians will get around to asking how Scripture addresses their personal situation, but content is the beginning point. Also by asking the expert about his reading of the law, Jesus affirms his belief in the law's abiding nature and impresses on the lawyer the importance of correctly interpreting it. So how does Jesus respond? You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. To the credit of the lawyer, the answer he provided was correct. Although the law of Moses contained at least 613 specific commands, that's according to most Jewish rabbis, Jesus' inquisitor provided a summary by answering, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. In response, Jesus replied, do the, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. After Jesus referred the lawyer to the Bible content, the lawyer was able to answer his own question. Jewish rabbis generally agreed that loving the Lord, Deuteronomy 6.5, and love for one's neighbor, Leviticus 19.18, were the greatest commandments in the law. In a different context, Jesus himself cited these same passages in Matthew 22.37-39 and in Mark 12. 30 and 31. And as I said earlier, Matthew makes reference to a lawyer asking the question. Mark makes reference to a scribe. Essentially, they are the same. And Jesus says exactly the same thing, but he inserts two things. First, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's an addition Jesus made. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, another addition that Jesus made. And just think about the Ten Commandments, for instance. They're recorded in Exodus 20, 1 through 17, and Deuteronomy 5, 7 through 21. The first three have to do with our relationship with God. The fourth one has to do with our relationship to, from, or for self, although you don't really understand that until Jesus explains it in the New Testament, that rest, the Sabbath, was created for us. And then the final six have to do with our relationship with each other's. You see, it's not enough for the lawyer to cite scripture. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Then the passage goes on to explain that the lawyer trying to justify himself would ask, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus challenged him of putting this in, into work in his own life by telling us one of the most famous stories in the Bible, that of the Good Samaritan. God intended for his word to be put into our heart, that it would be used as a guide for our life. But the first thing that Jesus and the lawyer needed to know was the Bible's content. What does the Bible say? Well, the second thing then is understanding. Although our reading should help us discover the theme of a text under consideration, our study is incomplete if we do not learn as much as we can about the text in question. Was it just, what was it just before and what is it just after the text that we're studying? Who is speaking? Who is being addressed? What is the occasion of the text? What is occurring? What, when, where, how? Old Testament or New Testament? Referring to the law of Moses or referring to the law of liberty? Thus, we do not read only for content, but we also read for understanding. In Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 35, there's an account there of Philip. Philip was one of the early, what is believed to be deacons, but he was also a preacher, an evangelist. And he went into the area of Samaria. But after preaching there, he is sent on a mission uh, to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. So in this particular reading, Philip runs up to the chariot. He heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage. He was led like a, a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Quoting Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Part of the passage that Billy Wayne read recently at the Lord's Supper. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself? or someone else. Then Philip began with that very scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, this Ethiopian was a treasurer for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, but he was also a Jew. And he had traveled to Jerusalem to worship and now he's on his way back and he's studying the scriptures. But he encountered a text that was a little bit puzzling for him. So he invites Philip to come up and explain it to him. What he is not telling us here, and what scripture is not telling us here, is that we have to have help to understand the scriptures. But we also recognize that there are some that are more difficult to understand than others, especially if that person who is, is regularly and devoutly studying the word, we can dig into it. And this would be the kind of person that you would want to invite. And it seems that the Ethiopian eunuch recognized this in Philip, so he asked him to come up and to teach him.
<clears throat> so how would you answer somebody then that says, well, it's, it's too hard to understand the Bible. You can't understand the Bible. Well, my question would be, then why did God then give us the scripture? Why was it recorded in a common Greek language? Jesus says in John 7, 17, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You'll never find that unless you read God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, Paul says, test, uh, do not accept every, <laughs> it helps you when you read it. Do not put out the, spirit, the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid the evil. How can you do that? Unless you read God's Word. 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How can you do that if you don't read God's Word? 1 John 5, 18 through 20. John goes to say, we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Peter even, even states of Paul's writing, there are some tough things there. In 2 Peter 3, 14 through 16, Peter would say of Paul's writings, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people will distort just as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter acknowledges that Paul's writing are scripture and some of them are hard to understand. Not impossible, hard, difficult, maybe, impossible, never. But it's, it's reasons like this when we come to a study like Revelation, we invited Ken Wright to do the study because he had studied it and he had studied it and he had studied it and he was able to bring it to life for those of us who had not studied as hard or as much or as often. Jesus said we could know, John 8, 31 and 32, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul in Ephesians 3, 4 and 5 said, in reading this, you will be able to understand. So what do we do? Well, we grow, we study, we learn, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 tells us that there is a time when we ought to be teachers. But if we don't study, we're still going to be taking the milk and not ready for strong or for the meat, which is for uh, the mature. So we need to grow. And when we run into things that are hard, we look for those who are older in faith, who are more experienced in the Word, who are a Bible student to help teach us, help bring us along. So let's look at growth then. We've talked about content. We've talked about understanding. What about growth? Just as you can read a text without understanding it, you can also understand a passage without applying it to your life. Our task is to understand Scripture, study it, and then apply it. When we both understand and apply the truth, then spiritual growth will occur. This is exactly what Paul wanted Timothy to do, his son in the faith, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2. Providing Timothy with instructions designed to aid his growth as a gospel preacher, Paul urged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in this matter. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. 
What did Paul tell Timothy to give his detention to? He said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. And that's the NIV version. The in, uh, New King James says, reading, exhortation, and doctrine. The New American Standard says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. But the word public and of Scripture is inserted as is understood. As I said earlier, the word that is normally translated from the Greek to read is public reading. The ESV says, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, whether Paul intended Timothy to read God's Word privately or publicly, we don't really know. The importance really does not change. Most people agree with Lipscomb and Shepard who said this reading was to be done in private to instruct and improve himself and in public to improve and benefit others. So, who does Paul... Who did Paul tell Timothy he would save by giving proper attention to the reading of, word, of the Word and abiding in the doctrine and watching his life? He says, watch your life closely, watch your doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you save both yourself and others. The purpose of Paul's charge to Timothy was to improve this young gospel preacher. Paul wanted Timothy to, one, do his job as an evangelist, verse 13. Two, to use these abilities and gifts that he had bestowed on him, whether natural or supernatural, verse 14. Three, to devote himself to his work, verse 15, and continue in a steadfast manner, verse 16, the result of which would be he would save both himself and those who heard him. In short, Paul wanted Timothy to grow as a Christian. Reading scripture played an important part in this process. The same is true for us. We want to grow as Christians, Reading the scripture is crucial. So let's wrap it all up. People sometimes read the Bible in a way that old timers used to take a dose of castor oil. They gritted their teeth, they let it slip down with little idea of what it was for or whether it did any good or not. Having learned the Bi that Bible reading is profitable though, Christians could open the Bible to a random passage, read a scripture or so, lay it down, and then have little knowledge of what they had just read. If someone were to ask them, they'd have difficulty putting the words or putting the scripture into their own words. Because sometimes we Christians read as a duty, but we understand little. In order for the reading of scripture to be profitable, it needs to first be for content, then it needs to be for understanding, and finally, it needs to be for growth. Without all three, there is the like there is likely to be no increase in faith no repentance from sin, no moral uprightness, and no fervor of love. So I commend you to the daily reading of God's Word. Read for content, read for understanding, and read for growth. Thank you very much, and we will pick up again next week.